Sunday, June the 4th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great job. Thanks, Margaret, every so much. Good morning, everybody. My name's Simon. If you don't know, it's my joy and challenge to lead the team here. Sometimes it's more joyful. Sometimes it's more challenging. Only kidding. Only kidding. Right. What I'd love you to do, we're starting a new series this morning, and um, what I'd love you to do is turn to the person next to you and say, I know I don't look very excited, but I'm actually really excited about what's about to happen. Okay, so we're in a new series, What is Truth? Discovering Truth from the Inside Out. And I I want to take some threads of the journey that we've been on in the last series about walking with God and uh, develop a couple of the ideas that, as we came to them, felt kind of super important as we move uh, forward together. It, It feels a little bit like um, that time in our journey when we discovered soap and we found a tool that we discovered was really helpful in helping us read God's word, hear from, uh, hear what God was saying through it and begin to put it into practice, that we might be on a similar kind of journey for how God wants to minister and touch and change our hearts. But I'm racing ahead. You will notice that Margaret, when she read, paused very helpfully and very dramatically when she said the words on Pilate's lips, what is truth? What is truth? Everyone on the side of truth, Jesus said, listens to me. What is truth? Reported or retorted Pilate. What is truth? What I want you to notice from the get-go is how this fits into the bigger story. It's very easy for us, isn't it, in the way that we deal with the Scripture, just to take a little bit of Scripture and, and lift it a little bit out of its context. Sometimes that's really helpful, and we'll put it on the fridge, uh, fridge door as a magnet. But other times it's not so helpful just to lift out Scriptures away from their context because we miss perhaps some of the deeper meanings. I mean, you can lift out the verse that says, Jonathan went and urinated against the tree. And then you can lift out the verse, go thou and do likewise. But you won't end up with anything that's particularly helpful for you. So given that nothing is left to chance, given that the Bible from beginning to end, and we've seen this year in, year out, week in, week out, is an amazing fabric of woven tapestry of interconnected thoughts and ideas. It's talking about this, but it's giving a nod and a wink here. That's the way the Hebrew writers would write anyway. What's going on here that, that Pilate should zero in about truth in the middle of this conversation? What's been going on? 
Well, Margaret read what had been going on, and it was Peter at the courtyard. But to understand what was going on with Peter at the courtyard, we need to go back a little bit further and think about the journey that Peter has been on. For our purposes uh, this morning, we first meet Peter along the road. When Peter is strong, resilient, and powerful. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build... What was the rock that Jesus was talking about? Why was Jesus able to say that Peter had become a rock? What had just happened before that? So, thank you, Alan. So, Peter had owned for himself the truth of who Jesus was. And at last, Jesus goes, "Ah, thank goodness for that. Now we're ready. Because we're beginning to build on something that's true. And so, on this rock, a play on words, Peter, because the name means rock, and the truth that uh, he had just declared, it's a, it's a clever, it's a little joke, a kind of inside nudge, nudge, wink, wink, look at that, that's clever, no pun intended, yes, a pun absolutely intended, on this rock I will build my church. And Peter is strong and powerful and suddenly he's aligning himself with the truth. And we begin to see this emergence of Peter who is strong and resilient and all in for Jesus. So we get to the Last Supper, and Peter, maybe a bit too um, above his station, expresses at least the desire of his heart. Even if everyone else falls away, I'm not going to fall away. Jesus, I'm your man, whatever else every other man and woman decides to do. I'm all in for you. And he believed it. He believed it because we know that when Jesus went around washing the disciples' feet, uh, and, and Peter was a bit resistant, you don't need to do that for me. And Jesus said, no, 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 I really do need to do this for you. Uh, and Jesus, and so Peter basically said to Jesus, well, if that's the case, then I, I'm all in. I, I want the whole lot. I want everything that you have for me. And to be fair, he acts out that strength and that courage and that bravado. Maybe in a misguided way, but he acts it out. What's the next thing that Peter does? Not quite. Something in between. Yes. He cuts off the soldier's ear. That takes some balls, doesn't it? Probably a strong knife as well. Not to get those two things confused. There's a joke about that for another time. So, in that moment, when the soldiers are coming to arrest Jesus... In that moment, when people come with not just sticks and stones, but with proper swords, Peter goes, I'm all in for you, Jesus. And he whips out his own sword, and without any sense of his own safety and protection, he cuts off this person's uh, ear. And so Peter meant it. He was strong and courageous and resilient. So why does he fall apart around a campfire? With a slave girl. Why do, why, where's that strength and that resilience and that courage and that faith and that boldness and that confidence? Where, where's all that gone in that moment? Meanwhile, it says, 
Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked, aren't you one of those? Nope. Nope, not me. Just moments after chopping off someone's ear, for goodness sake. There must be a joke about chopping off someone's ear. Um, and I don't know what it is. So if you think of that, it'd be good to know. Where did it all gone? Ask your neighbor. Why does he fall apart at a slave girl's question? Why? Can you see the journey of strength to strength? He's on a roll, this guy. Why does it all go wrong right there? When I say talk to your neighbor, it's not rhetorical in any way, shape, or form. It's a literal request on my behalf that you'll think about what we're talking about. Just hold your thoughts. Peter had found incredible freedom based on the truth that he discovered. And that's not incidental to our journey in this series. Peter had found incredible freedom based on the truth that he discovered. He expressed that sometimes in misguided ways. There would be lots to learn. But he was in a different space. And yet suddenly having been commissioned by Jesus to build the church, having been bold in surrendering his life at the Last Supper, courageously fighting for Jesus, however misguided in that garden, he crumbles. And the truth is that there's a Peter inside all of us. There's a Peter inside all of us. I can be so strong and full of faith, and yet the next moment I fall apart. I can promise God everything on Sunday after beautiful worship like we've had. But on Monday, it can be a different story. I can know God as my father and live as if he will meet all of my needs. And then suddenly I feel like I'm on my own and it's all down to me. I can know that God takes care of every detail of my life and yet worry about everything. I've given my life to Jesus and yet I hold parts of it back. At times I'm an agnostic because I live as though it doesn't really matter whether God's there or not. At other times I'm an atheist because my thoughts and decisions betray me and I'm acting and thinking as if God's not there at all. Who's with me so far? Any resonance? We're right where Peter is, aren't we? Cloud nine, right in the valley. Winning at life, losing at everything. We're right there. 
I long to be faithful, strong, courageous, passionate, alive for Jesus, yet I can be so fearful and weak and anxious and cold and half-hearted. So Pilate, after all Peter's mess, after his heart is revealed as broken in some ways around the campfire, Pilate asks a question that gets right to the heart of the matter. A question that gets right to the heart of the whole thing. What is truth? Because what we've begun to see with Peter, that when he discovered the truth and he stood on it, he found freedom and he went forward in sense of commitment and joy and life and passion. But when he no longer stood on that truth, it began to unravel. When we discover truth in our lives, we step into freedom. But when that same truth eludes us, everything begins to fall apart and we become enslaved and ensnared. We have truth and we don't. We have faith and we doubt. We have joy, life and peace and we don't. We have strength and we don't. We're alive and yet we can be dead. What has truth got to do with it? Where does this truth play out? What was Jesus actually doing on the cross? People, this is not a difficult question. This is right at the heart of things. He gave up everything for my sins. For my sins. What lies behind every sin? Every single sin, this lies behind it. Selfishness. What else? What did the serpent say in the garden? Lies. Lies. I've no idea. Very welcome. I think it's the first time you've been here, maybe, but you're very welcome. My name's Simon. Keith. Keith. Pleased to meet you, Keith. And who are you with, Keith? Jenny. Keith and Jenny. You're very welcome. Give Give Keith and Jenny a round of applause for being with us today. You're very welcome. Right there in the garden, right there in the garden, at the heart of it all was a lie. You surely will not die. Go on. It's fine. Right behind every single thing is a lie. When Jesus died on the cross, they called him the Messiah because he was the liberator. What Jesus died for was to free us, baby. That's what it was about. What Jesus died was to liberate us back to all that we were ever meant to be. What Jesus died for was to free us from the lies. Which is why Jesus would say, if you know the truth, the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. Which is why Jesus said to Pilate, everyone who's aligned with the truth will listen to me. They'll get it. They'll, they'll, they'll be alive with it. And Pilate, in all his pagan confusion, goes, well, what is truth? And ironically, the truth was right in front of him. The truth was being lived out in glorious technicolor as Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Why was Peter standing on the truth so tall and then falling so easily, almost on the same page of the book? Because, circling back to where we were a few weeks ago, because he suffers with the human condition, and the human condition is a divided heart. You see, a divided heart... A heart that isn't all in, 
a divided heart, a heart that's going in different directions, is against God's design for us. Which is why David prayed, the great worshipper, the great man after God's own heart for all his faults and flailings. It's why he prayed, because he understood something about the human heart. Lord, what I need to be who I'm supposed to be, my design is that my heart might be un. Divided. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Look at that verse just for a moment. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. That's trust or faith, if you like. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. That's worship. So with a divided heart, which is what we all suffer from, our faith in God suffers and our worship suffers, which are the two fundamental things for living the Christian life. Which is why David understands that a divided heart is so against God's design for us. Because when our heart is divided, our trust in God suffers and our worship of God suffers. Stops you worshipping and it stops you trusting. It's against God's design. But it's also against God's desire. David is trying to unpack what goes on in in, in someone's heart. And he has a lot of experience about it. Because we know that David, when he was at the top of his game, uh, he... He sinned, he should have gone off to war, he didn't go off to war, he saw Bathsheba bathing naked, he fancied her, so he took her because he was the king, he committed adultery with her, then he had Bathsheba's husband killed just to cover up his crime, he made a right mess, he screwed up in a ridiculous way. And he was trying to unpack what had happened. How had he gone from the strength and freedom and joy to that place of sin and brokenness and despair? And he writes about it in Psalm 51, asking God to to sort him out, to cleanse him, to restore him. And in the middle of this psalm, where he's asking God to sort out his heart, to fix what was obviously so fundamentally wrong that he would fall into that kind of sin, he says these words, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Truth. There it is again. Truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. It's not just against God's design, it's against God's desire for us. Now you can begin to see where truth fits into this whole picture of of what happened to Peter and the way our hearts are divided and and, and what we need to bring our hearts together. There's There's a whole piece about discovering truth in the inner places, which means there isn't always truth in the inner place. There isn't always truth in our inner place. Now you need to track with me now because this is really important. And it's why we so easily screw up as Christians. It's why so often we're ineffectual. It's why so often we're not the people we want to be. It's why so often our talk and our walk has a distance between them. We talk a good game and we walk a shallow walk. Truth in the inner parts. You see, if he desires truth in the inner parts... And our hearts do not have truth in some of those places in our hearts. What does that mean? What's the opposite of truth? Lies. Lies. So if we don't have truth in parts of our hearts, what do we have in parts of our hearts? It's getting uncomfortable now, isn't it? Remember, the truth will hack you off before it sets you free. What, what, what do we have in our hearts? Can you own? It's hard even to say it, isn't it? Honestly, I feel it's hard even to say it. There are lies 
There are lies in our hearts. A divided heart carries lies within it. And we want to react against that. I realize it's hard just to speak it out. It's hard to own that. Because we want to say, you know, I, no, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, Jesus is in my heart. And he is. And that's true. David was a Christian in that Old Testament sense. And so at the end of the scriptures, when John the Apostle is in old age and he's kind of writing some of his wisdom memoirs and he's thinking about things that younger Christians need to understand, things that all of us need to understand. He says, hey, do you know what? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we act like there are no lies, no sin, remember behind every sin is a lie, that there is no sin, there are no lies. We're kidding ourselves. We're lying even to ourselves. It's bad enough that there are lies in us, but we're covering up those lies by lying to ourselves about the fact that there are lies within us. There are lies in your heart today. That's the truth. There are lies in my heart today. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm really glad I came this morning. <clears throat> now, if you think that's a big problem, we've got ourselves into a bit of a mess right now, haven't we? It's worse. It's what we're still going down, people, before we come up. A divided heart can't stand strong. A divided heart can't stand strong. So not only have we got lies, because of those lies, they're wrestling against the truth. Our hearts are divided against one another, and a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. That's what Jesus said. When he talked to people about their hearts, he said that kingdoms that are against one another, they can't stand. Which is why sometimes I'm weak and ineffectual. It's why sometimes I I lack resilience. It's why sometimes I'm anxious. It's why sometimes I worry. It's why sometimes I'm scared. It's why sometimes I'm not the person I want to be. It's why sometimes I I tell a talk and I, I don't walk fully in the talk that I tell. Because something inside of me is a wrestle. And we might pretend that's not taking place. If we pretend it's not taking place, we've literally silenced it. That's all we've done. We've lied to ourselves about it enough times just to silence it. And we can do that very fearfully and wonderfully made. We can silence that in our hearts and pretend it's not there. Which is why you can even be the Apostle Paul, arguably the greatest person in the New Testament outside of Jesus, who basically said, I've got that wrestle. There's stuff I don't want to do and I'm doing it. And there's stuff that I don't want to do or stuff that I don't want to do and I'm doing it. There's stuff that I do do that I don't want to do. You know what I'm saying? Thanks. Got it out. And he goes, this is, my heart, if I'm honest, is out of control. And quietly we go, thank heavens that was in the Bible. Because so's mine. But I'm not going to tell anybody else. Because they'll think there's something wrong with me. We tracking? And we wonder where all the power goes. We wonder why the Holy Spirit leaks out of our hearts and our lives. We wonder why on Sunday lunchtime it feels like we can conquer the world. And by Monday at 8.30 it feels like we can't conquer getting out of bed. And we see this everywhere in the scriptures. We tracked it through Peter. But James, 
says exactly the same thing. He talks about a double-minded man who is unstable in all they do. Because when you ask, you must believe and not that. You must hold to the truth completely. That would be a undivided heart. Because for the one who doubts, for the one who acknowledges, who sees, who knows that there's division in his heart, he's like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Hey, I'm that person sometimes. Have you been that person? We're in good company, aren't we? Who wants to be that person? None of us. Who is that person? All of us. And this is the killer, right? This is, this is where it gets serious, if it hasn't got serious already. If in your heart there are lies, who is that part of your heart aligning with? Keith, top marks. A divided heart aligns with the devil in part. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not overdo it. In part. Who is the father of lies? That's what Jesus described him as. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, blah, 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 blah. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of of lies. Every lie gives the enemy a foothold in your life. You wouldn't dream of giving the enemy a foothold. Intentionally, probably. Many of us are wary about all kinds of things that we think, and rightly so, would give the enemy a foothold. I don't do that, and I don't go there, and I don't agree with that, and I stand firm against, against, against. While all the while, while all the while, part of our heart has a door wide open. Does that make sense? All the while it's there. And we've become so familiar, so used to it, we barely notice that it's, that it's there. David understood that, which is why he prayed that search me prayer that we did a few weeks ago about, I can't even see where the lies are anymore. I'm so used to it. I'm so confused. I can't even see it. No wonder Paul says to the Ephesian church, which was a letter that would go around all the churches, don't give the devil a what? A foothold. And suddenly, as the Spirit of God awakens something in me, I realize I'm giving a foothold every single day. And it's time we said no. You with me? It's time we said no. It's time we said no. We're not going to live like that anymore. We're not going to let his subtle ways deceive us and rob us and deny us of the truth. Notice what what, what Jesus says here when he's talking about it. Um, uh, Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Okay, so there's no truth in the devil. There's no truth in him. If you have a divided heart, in order for your heart to become undivided, you can move one of two ways. Can you see that? You can move towards the fact that your whole heart is consumed by that which isn't true. You can try that if you like. I wouldn't recommend it. Or you can move this way where your heart becomes consumed by everything that's true and there is no room anymore for that which is 
untrue. A divided heart can only move in one of two ways. And the Hebrew word yakad that um, David uses here in Psalm 86 talks about all the different pieces of our hearts coming together to form one whole community. And you will know if you've done any work on yourself that it feels like sometimes there are different parts to you. Are you with me? You feel like you're, that you, sometimes you feel like you're in pieces. If you've done any self-analysis, any self-awareness, you will begin to discover that that's exactly what's being talked about here. Because we have divided hearts. And we can move towards the truth, or we can move towards that which is untrue. We can unite our hearts around the things that push us into that place of God being our Father of truth and love, or that move us steadily into that place of aligning ourselves with the father of lies. Now, we can't leave it there, can we? Why can't we leave it there? Third time in a row. It's brilliant, isn't it? I was chuffed to beans with myself to discover that three Sundays in a row, which is the number of the Trinity, God's special number, Three Sundays in a row, we've had seven points, the number of heaven in the sermons. Go me! If I was on performance-related pay, that right there would deserve that, I think. I'm going to have a slurp of my jasmine tea just to celebrate. Just in case there's any room for doubt, I'm not on any performance-related pay, for which I'm grateful most of the time. So we need a seventh point. This is it. A divided heart requires honesty. A divided heart requires honesty. That's where it begins. And that's why I've pushed us to that hard and painful place of trying to be honest with what's going on on the inside. For as long as we're not honest, nothing gets dealt with. For as long as we can't name it, we can't bring it to Jesus. For as long as we stay with the illusion that I think I'm fine, really, thank you very much, then nothing changes. I think it's I think it's the things that we say that are white lies that are just an expression, a symptom of the lack of truth that goes on in our hearts. I think there's a deeper reality that our hearts believe some things that our head knows aren't true. But because our head knows they're not true, we pretend that our hearts don't believe them. And there's a disconnect between head and heart. And that's our journey, people, over these next few weeks. Because it's very easy for your head to be in control and say, do you know what? I gave my life to Jesus. Shut up, Simon. You don't know what you're talking about. I've given my heart to Jesus. Well, bully for you. Bully for all of us. But deep inside, if we let our hearts speak, If we let our hearts say what our hearts want to say, we'll soon begin to discover that there are things my heart believes that would make my mind shocked. You with me? Where did that come from? I've been carrying that all my life, and I'm wondering why I'm not resilient. I'm wondering why the enemy seems to have a foothold in my life all the time. I'm wondering why I'm living defeated. That's why. That's why. Because the doorway, the gateway is open. So it starts with being honest, which is what Paul wrote about, didn't he? He wrote about being transformed, 
which is our hearts becoming more and more whole, more and more aligned, more and more undivided. But it starts with those who are willing to unveil their faces. I know it's a mix of metaphors, but if I was to say to you, take your masks off, you know what I'd mean. That's what Paul's saying. It starts with those who are prepared to take their masks off and get real. And get real. And if we can't take our masks off to ourselves, we will struggle to take our masks off to God. But it's those with unveiled faces, those who are willing to drop the mask, to take away the pretense, those who are willing to go to the hard places that are real, that are on this journey of transformation, transformed into his image from, excuse me, with ever-increasing glory. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Can you imagine? Every week, every month, being more like Jesus. Do you know what the world needs? You more like Jesus. Do you know what will bring you more alive? Being more like Jesus. Do you know what will bring you more fun and adventure? Being like Jesus. Do you know what will be a blessing for all of us? You being like Jesus. That's it, all right there. But it begins with unveiled faces. Am I going to get real enough for God to do some of that internal work? Simple question this morning. Are you up for it? Are you up for it? Honestly, it's rocky. It's painful. You'll feel like you're more apart than put together for a while. Because when we look at our hearts and we realize the division, we realize all the parts, and goodness me, what am I doing with all these bits inside me? If we give them voice, you find yourself feeling and thinking different things that you didn't know were in there because you've become an expert at packing them away and pretending that they don't exist. Are you up for it? Are you up for it? And so Paul would pray that prayer, wouldn't he, about, about God searching, uh, sorry, David would pray that prayer about God searching his heart. Which basically, even though he was a man after God's own heart, would say, sometimes, Lord, I, if I'm honest, I've become so comfortable with stuff, or I've learnt the technique of silencing my inner world that I can no longer see with Eliza. I can no longer see what I'm believing that's wrong. And I need your help. Requires honesty. And I feel like this journey for us over these next few weeks is super significant. I mean, I get to talk a lot, and I talk a lot of nonsense sometimes. Week on week, whatever. This, really, this is the deal. This, this really matters. This is a big deal for us. If we create a culture here, and, and there are so many signs of it. It's not like we're starting this journey. We've had wholehearted, some of you have been uh, journeying some of this kind of stuff, using different language perhaps, but this kind of idea uh, over the last couple of years. Many of you have been involved in prayer ministry at different times. The same ideas. There's nothing new suddenly here, but, but, but this seems like to be a moment for us where God is saying, I want to do something new and deeper with us together. But it requires us to be honest and that's hard, and it's ugly, and it's messy, and it's... Because you know what? There's stuff in you that's ugly and messy. I don't really want to see that. And there's stuff in me that's ugly and messy. You don't really want to see that. But we've got to get it out, haven't we? We've got to mop it all up before we can be cleansed and alive. And we can do that together. Judgment-free zone. You've got lies inside of you, and so have I. And we'll love each other through it. Because the God of heaven and earth 
as he hung on that cross and it went dark. He went, it went dark because of what's in your heart and mine. That's what the darkness was. That's what created the separation from God. That's what he was busting through. Everything that's untrue that aligns itself with the father of lies. Let's be quiet for a moment. There'll be three groups of people broadly this morning. Maybe four. The first group of people, honestly, and I get this, I've done this, first group of people checked out early on in my talk because it felt like it was going somewhere difficult and painful. And you're so used to checking out when it gets close to your heart that you did it almost imperceptibly without realizing it. I've been there. We've all done that. We've all done that. You're known and loved. That's not a guilt thing at all. That's just a reality of, of the way our hearts work. The second group of people will have gone, ouch. I, I, I can begin to sense that God's trying to get my attention, but I'm not ready. I'm not sure. If I'm honest with myself, I'm not sure I'm ready to be honest. That's okay. We love you. God loves you. It's a journey. Third group of people will be actually, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my heart, I want to be honest. I want that. I've no idea what anything that is wrong in me is. I don't know what that is. I don't know where the lies are. I don't know, I don't know the agreements I've made. I don't know what foundation I've built all of my heart on. But, but I've heard some truth today, and I'm willing to be honest with myself, And I'm willing to let God show me some stuff with fresh, soft eyes about what's going on in my inner world. And there are others of you that are weeks ahead in this series and you already know a couple of lies. Just as I was talking, you go, yep. Yep, I believe that in my heart. I know it's wrong. I know it's not the truth. I know it's not the right answer. But if I let my heart speak, that's what my heart believes. And you're there. Wherever we are this morning, Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus gave his life for us. He gave his life for us. He was called the Messiah, the liberator. To liberate us from the lies that have affected us, afflicted us, and taken hold of us. And so wherever you are in that spectrum, I'm just inviting you to come to the cross this morning. I'm inviting you just to take that journey in your heart. Whatever that looks like for you. Do you know, sometimes I imagine the cross and I imagine myself standing there, watching, looking, wondering, weeping, crying, amazed. I just look at Jesus dying. It might be an icon, a picture, something different for you that helps you just in your heart come to the cross. Sometimes I imagine myself just standing there after everyone's gone 
and it's dark and it's raining and the body's been taken away. Just I don't want to leave because I know something happened there that changes everything and I want it. Are you willing to bring yourself this morning? Say, God, I, I want to be honest. You gave everything for me. And I'm no longer prepared for only part of my heart to be given to you.